about a, uh, something that I'm going through right now. It's kind of tough. Um, it's not as, I, I wish I could say it was as easy, but it's, it's really, really difficult um, because there are always up and down times in our life. And what I mean by this is that when God puts something on your heart, that you're going to do something, right now I'm in the middle of that period from when he told me about it to waiting to receive it. And that's a hard thing to go through. And so I don't know if anybody else is in this, and if tonight it may just be for me, but uh, I believe this is a, a great idea or thoughts that we can walk away with and we can answer the question. The title of tonight's message is When God Win. When God Win. And asking a simple question, when is this going to happen, God? And so um, I want to go ahead and pray before we get going. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus once again and thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to stand up here and, and to, to minister, to speak your word. I ask, Father, that you would help me to speak this message tonight. Father, that you would grace me with your anointing. That, Lord, as I go through this, that you would speak to my heart through the Holy Spirit and give me thoughts and illustrations, things that I'd planned on not saying, so the life may be affected and changed, and most of all, know how much you love them. So, Lord, I ask that you would help me, help me to have the voice to speak and to speak the way that you would want me to, Father. I also ask for open hearts and ears in this place to receive what you have in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 11. While you're doing that, uh, today is a special day. There's a couple of people that uh, get to celebrate birthdays. I feel like February's like just been a birthday month. Pastor n- named like 18 people the other day with a birthday. So um, I do want to say this. Tonight is Sydney Bacon. She's a good friend of ours. She's been a great person. She's down in the youth serving. And uh, tonight's her birthday, so we say happy birthday to her. Also, Mr. Ron Thompson sitting in the back. He's the big 50, right? I mean, 30, right? <laughs> 30-ish. There we go. Well, happy birthday, Ron. Uh, Ron's one of our head ushers. He helps us out a lot doing those things. He's a great servant, so uh, we greatly appreciate that. And if I missed any other birthdays, I'm so sorry, but (laughs) I just wanted to get those ones out. So happy birthday to you too, also. But uh, we're excited about this thing. So Acts chapter 11, we're going to read verse 20. And uh, I do want to preface this. I, I come from, people call up north. I come from Colorado, so I speak a little bit faster. I'm going to do my best to slow down so that people can hear. So, um, all right. Acts chapter 11, verse 20. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus, Cyrene, went to Anok to to begin to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is the part I want you to understand. There's a church that is being developed, and, and there was a bunch of men that started at one place all together, They came in and they got run out. And so these men, they went and they just, they didn't know what else to do. So they just went to another town and they started speaking to those people about the love of God. The passion that they had, they shared it with everybody. And I want you to catch what happens right here in verse 21. This is such a key part right here. The Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, at this point, a lot of the disciples were focusing more on the Jewish community. And these guys went after the Greeks. This is, it was unheard of. This was like, well, why are you doing this? And they went because they had a heart for people. And these people were willing to listen. The Lord was with them and brought them all to come to know the Lord. And so it goes on to verse 22. This is, this is a great part. And this is what we need to live for. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. And so they had such an impact. 
Man, it got all the way back home to the, main, to the, the original disciples. They were so excited about this. And it goes on and he says, and they sent Barnabas to Anok. Verse 23, when he arrived, he saw the evidence of the grace of God. And he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with their heart. Now, what I want to get across right here, I want you to understand, is that God, when he, when he comes into our life, think about the first day that you got saved. You were so lit up and so on fire that you were going to go talk to everybody. You've got to get right with God. You've got to do these things. And he was so excited about, Barnabas saw what was going on in their life. He was so excited about it. He said, this is what I'm talking about. And he came back and he shared this incredible thought that I think we would bypass if we didn't slow down and read what he's getting across here. He came to him and he said, first of all, guys, I'm so excited for what you're doing. I am so excited. I know what you do. I see what you're doing at work. I see what you're doing here and I see what you're doing there. And he goes through and he shares all these thoughts and he comes back and he says this one thought. And he says, I want you to remain with the Lord. And you think, well, that's obvious. They love God. They're trying to do these things. No, he had to tell them because he wants, we're going to have times where it's going to be an up and there's going to be a downtime. And it's going to be easy to turn away from the Lord. Listen to how it says out of the Amplified Version because it gets across a little bit different. When he arrived and saw what grace, favor of God was bestowed upon them, he was full of joy and he continually exhorted, warned, urged, and encouraged them all to cleave unto the remaining faithful and to be devoted to the Lord with a resolute and steady purpose of heart. And I want you to understand this. The key word right there is cleave. When I first got into the ministry, I read across this, I ran across this verse, and that word cleave jumped out, literally jumped out, and it caught on to me. And I started to think about that word and what cleave means. And the first thing I thought of was a young child. I, I remember a story, or I remember a time that uh, my father-in-law, those of you who know him as Pastor Stormy, um, he likes to play jokes sometimes on people and uh, have fun with them and do some different things. Um, yeah, there's some great jokes. I'll, I'll have to tell you about what Roxanne did one time. And uh, it was really funny, really, really funny. But uh, that's another, another sermon. Um, well, we had one of our, uh, one of the little nieces was kind of playing around, and we were all kind of sitting in this living room area. And uh, he said, shh, watch this. And so he crawled on the floor around this, and she didn't see where he went, got around this like uh, little house that was there. And she was sitting right there, and she was playing real quiet, being real nice and all this stuff. He comes running out, not running, sprinting out at her, screaming and yelling and doing all these things. And she goes, ah! And I mean, it was like a stunned, wait, 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 wait. And then all of a sudden, she screams, throws everything, picks up stuff, and starts throwing it at him, and runs to the closest person she can run to. All of a sudden, she jumped onto uh, my wife's grandpa and just like was bear-hugging, choking him because she was so scared. And that word cleave made a lot of sense at that point. When we were scared, what do we do? We cleave onto something that we think will be safe. And I thought, man, that's, I get that now. I get what cleaving is all about because we have to cleave unto the Lord. And that's what he's talking about. That when the tough times come or the good times, we've got to cleave unto the Lord. We've got to jump on and, and, realize that we can't move without God being there. And that's what I want you to understand, and that's what I need to understand about this, because what do we do when the tough times come? I don't know if anybody else is like this. I may be the only person in here like this, but uh, when the tough time comes, what do I try to do? 
in my mind, I try to figure out how I'm going to solve this problem. How I can, by natural, pray and say, God, can you help me? But then on the backside, I'm trying to figure out, okay, if I do this and I do this and I do this and this happens this way and this happens this, then it'll work. Or if I do this and 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 then that, and all of a sudden I'm coming up with these multiple ways to make my way, maneuver around to get past this problem. But that's not what faith is all about. It's about cleaving unto the Lord and realizing I can't go anywhere without you. I can't do anything without you. And that's why Barnabas came and he shared that simple thought. Listen, guys, I'm an, I, I love what you're doing. But remember this, cleave unto the Lord. This is a great moment. These guys are saving people. They're getting right with God. They're doing all these things. And he says, cleave unto the Lord. And that word cleave really hit home at that point, but it drove it deep down when I had my first child, when, when we had Cade. When Cade was born, they, you know, um, I, was, I didn't grow up around a lot of kids. My wife will tell you this. I didn't have, you know, I was, I was the middle kid, and, you know, my, my younger brother, he was a year younger than me, so I didn't hold him. I didn't know what babies were like. And so I didn't really grow up around babies. And I remember when the nurse delivered the Cade, and he, they go and they weigh him, they kind of wrap him up, and then what do they do? They come over, and I'm kind of standing there. I'm just kind of in amazement. I'm just shocked, just not saying anything, and I'm just like a blank stare on my face. And they walk up, and it's literally like, okay, here you go. And they throw him at me, and I'm like, whoa, you know, and I don't even know what's going on. So I go to the only natural thing I can do. I put him like a football in my arm, and I try to hold him on. And, you know, I'm just thankful I didn't spike him and do a touchdown dance. But uh, I, I realized at that point, as I'm looking at him, trying not to drop him, I realized he's so dependent upon me. Everything relies on me at that moment. And not just me, it relied on us. His source of food, his source of joy, his, his, to clean, to change, to bring anything that brought dissatisfaction into his life or discontentment, it was my job to help fix that. And I realized what it meant to be Father God for a small moment, that his job or his life's mission is that we would be content and satisfied with him. And as I thought about this, I remember my son, as he cried that first night, I did everything I could to try to correct it, to, to fix him and do all these things and, and stop him from crying. And I think sometimes we get that same way. We go to God and we're crying we're literally saying something's wrong. I don't know what's wrong. And we cry and we cry and we cry and we cry. And God's saying, I've changed his diaper. I've burped him. I've tried to feed him. I've tried to do all these things, you know. And God knows what to do. It just takes a little bit of time for that child to quiet down. And I think about this, that when we become content and satisfied with God, we don't get moved by the things around us. It could be the rockiest place in the world but God's got us on the smooth path. It could be the, way, the greatest ways you've ever seen, but God's got us on the smooth, plat, the smooth path. And that's where we have to come back down to is realize that no matter what's going on here, it's about being content and satisfied with where we are today. And that's with our Lord. Cleave unto God. It's a great moment, and he says we need to cleave unto God. Babies get content and satisfied whenever, when whatever's wrong gets fixed. But realize this, it doesn't happen that quick. 
it usually takes a little bit of time for them to quiet down. And God is correcting what's wrong in our life. He's trying to help us, but we need to listen. We need to obey. We need to follow through. And I realize that God has incredible things for us. And sometimes it's really hard because I can see my mom and dad. But I've never physically seen Jesus. I've never physically seen God. I've never, I've never had that opportunity. Now, some people I know that, that say they, they have seen Jesus, and they, they have, and, and that's great. But it says in John verse 20 and 29, or chapter 20, verse 29, it says, Then Jesus told them, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And that's what it comes back down to. Are you faithful enough to trust God, to have enough faith that everything's going to be okay? Or are we trying to figure out on the backside how we can make it happen and have God on the back burner and say, well, yeah, it goes to God. Really to me, but, you know, first me, then God. Instead of saying, well, it's always God. We have to cleave unto God because the devil, the Bible says, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But God's come to give us life and life to the fullest. And it comes down to living and trusting. Now, I want you to understand this. Listen to this thought right here. Blessed are those who stay focused. Blessed are those who stay focused during their trials. Think about the story of Peter when he walks on water. As he steps out of the boat, he's an incredible faithful man, trusting God. God says, go or come, and he gets out and he steps and he walks. And he's so, he's just blown away. Think about what would be going through your mind. You're walking on water. Okay, I don't do this every day. Normally, I sink to the bottom when I get on water, but no, today, wow, I'm walking on water. I am walking on water. And he starts to walk, but what happens? He loses his focus. The Bible says that he saw the wind. I've never seen the wind. I've seen the effect of wind, but I've never seen the wind. It says that the waves were crashing around him. I got to think those waves were crashing around him before he got out there. The same waves that were crashing around him, if he'd kept focused during the trial, he could have done cartwheels. He could have done somersaults. He could have done whatever he wanted on the water because he was so focused on God that he was trusting him. God is always looking to bless us and help us. He's always looking to pull us farther than we've ever gone before and help us in those areas. I've always found this, is that it always seems hardest, the hardest part of your life, the hardest times, you're, you wake up in the middle of the night and you're just, you can't go to sleep and your mind won't stop working and you're just trying to figure it out. You're at the very corner. You're just about to go around the corner to the blessing God's got in front of you. Recently, I woke up at two o'clock in the morning and I could not go to sleep. I just, I, my mind kept going and going and going and going and going. And I couldn't get it to stop. And I kept, I got up and I knew what it was. I was worried about something. And I said, God, I cast this out. I cast these thoughts down. Lord, I put it on you. I give it up to you, Father. I pray right now. And I started using the name of Jesus. And I went after the devil. Because it was him who was trying to keep me up and take away my joy. So I went after him. And I did everything that I could in the name of Jesus, and within about 15 or 20 minutes, I finally went back to sleep. The next morning, that thing I was worried about, taking care of that quick. That quick. Now, I could have stayed up the rest of the night and fought with the devil on my own, 
Or I could have just said, ah, I'm going to bed. I'm going back to bed. I don't need to mess with you. I got more stuff to do tomorrow than worry about you. And that's what we have to come back to. We have to cleave unto God and trust him. Jeremiah 29, 11, this is, uh, this is one of the verses I, on, on our mirror in the bathroom. We have it up in the corner. And every morning I'll, I'll, I'll look at that and I'll say, I oh, thank you, Lord. I thank you. Plans to prosper me. Give me a hope and a future. I thank you, Lord. And I'll walk away and I'll do those things. And you know what? Sometimes I say it by faith. And I'm really struggling that day, but I say it by faith. So Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I want you to understand the first part of that. Because we love the second half, but you can't get to the second half till you deal with the first half. And it says, For I know, the Lord speaking, for the Lord knows the plans the Lord has for you. The plans the Lord has for you. You have a desire and a dream that was placed in your heart from God. Those dreams and desires are for you and you alone. It's about trusting and believing at this point. Then God says, plans to prosper, you give you hope and a future when you trust me in this area. And that's where we have to come back down to is realizing everything comes in proper order and time. On Sunday, we, are, we had finished service and uh, I was walking around. Uh, and my daughter wanted to go home with me. And so I usually stay a lot later than my wife. And uh, so my wife had gone with my son and they'd already gone home. So my daughter and I are walking around and um, one of our servants, Jim, was outside and he had been, he was looking at his car. There was kind of a weird noise going on. And so I pulled the, I, we'd gotten in the car, I pulled the truck up next to it and I went and talked to him. And I know zero about cars. So if you ever see me standing outside of a car, I'm either talking to somebody or I'm just dumbfounded as, as all get out. So um, it really doesn't do me much good to go stand by somebody that actually knows what they're doing. So um, it makes me look smart, I guess. So um, we're standing there, and he's, we're talking about things. And I said, do you think it's that hose or this thingy over here? What about that, you know, blue-looking stuff over there? And he said, that's washer fluid. I said, well, that's probably not it then. But uh, we kept going through all this stuff, and all of a sudden I hear this noise. And I look over. And in my truck, my daughter has moved to the front seat, driver's seat, and is playing with the steering wheel, wheeling it back and forth. And the thought crossed my mind, did I leave it in park? And I'm like, yes, I had to leave it in park. It wouldn't be sitting there if it wasn't in park. And then I thought, what would happen if it slipped out of gear? And I'm like, hmm. So I kind of look over there, and I, I get her attention. I said, don't do that, don't do that. And so I look at Jim and I say, I better get going or my truck's going to drive away here in a minute. So I said, I got to go. I start walking over there and I thought, I wonder what would happen if a five-year-old started driving. Well, that would be a lot of issues arising. And then God kind of shared this simple thought with me. He said, there's a reason why you're 16 and you follow the law. We believe some 16-year-olds, pray a lot over them, some 16-year-olds are ready to drive. <laughs> But we believe at 16 years old, they're ready. My five-year-old daughter, if we didn't have a law that said that, her timing would be way off. It would not be meant for a five-year-old to drive a truck, a car, or anything. I've seen her drive her little uh, power wheels thing, and I'm so thankful that it doesn't go faster than two miles an hour because, man, I think our house would be knocked over so many times she's run into it. But uh, what I want to get across is this, is that 16 years old is the time that we have to get to. 
We have to wait to get to that point. That's the right time. The law says that. Understand this. There's a right time that God's going to bring it into your life too. Five-year-olds are not meant to be driving, despite what they think. And despite what we think, we're not ready for what God has for us in the future. Let's be content and satisfied with what we have today. When we understand that and we live by that, it starts to change the way we think and deal with things. All of a sudden, we don't continue to complain, murmur, you know, say these things and, oh, well, what about this and what about this? I want you to understand this because God has a great and mighty purpose for us in our life. Think about this. The Israelites, when they left Egypt, do you realize they had an 11-day journey to get to the land of promise? 11 days. Do you know what they did for 11 days? They complained 11 straight days, continually. And God blessed them with all this stuff. It's not like God just did one small little thing. No, he, he took a rock and he said, when the rock moves, you move. I mean, that's pretty amazing that this rock is just rolling down the road and here we go. Okay, we go. And then not only that, God says, okay, they're hungry. They're complaining about not eating. And I, this, this hit me last night and, and at, at our young adults. God really exp- kind of showed me some things. Here they are. These are all slaves. They were, they were former slaves. Okay. They left slavery. Now, I want you to think about the food that slaves would eat. You think it's the best of the best? It's like, oh, man, this is, this is fine dining here. This is the, the best that you could possibly... No, this is the worst. This is scraps. I'm sure it was the worst meat that they had. It's whatever they could get to just satisfy them. But when you hear the Israelites talk about it, you know what they... Oh, it was the greatest. God brought us out here to die of starvation when we had it so good back there. Oh my gosh, I can't believe this. It was incredible back there. Yeah, I got beat every day. Yeah, I didn't have enough food for my family. And I worked 30 hours a day. I know there's only 24, but somehow they squeezed in those extra six. But it was incredible. It was like a luxury spa. I mean, it was just unbelievable. I mean, the way they speak about it, you would think that it was the greatest life ever. Now, I've never met a slave. I've read a lot of stories. I've read about what happened when we used to have slaves in America. And it didn't sound like the life of luxury to me. And I'm assuming it was a little bit worse back then than it was in our day. And yet they continue to look back at this and they say this to God. They're complaining and they're saying, God, why did you bring us out here to die? At least we could have been in luxury back there. And so God takes and he says, okay, well, I'm going to pour manna out. I started to go back and look up manna and really understand what this was about. Manna was like, it was the food of heaven. It was just the best of the best. I mean, this wasn't like, you know, hey, you know, this is leftover stuff. You know, I know Twinkies never die. So, you know, these these are going to be Twinkies for them. No, this was really, really good stuff. And yet they continued to complain about it. God said, listen, put it out. I'm going to rain it down for every day. On the sixth day, I'm going to rain a double portion and I want you to keep it and I want you to pull it to the side because I'm not going to, it's not going to rain on the seventh day. And so they said, okay, they got the rules, the guidelines. And so what happens the first day? It rains manna. They walk out and they're like, what do you want for breakfast? I don't know. Here, put your hand out. Let's see what comes in. Oh, good. We got food. I mean, this was pretty incredible. And what do they do? They take it and they eat it. And they're like, this is so good. And then it says, the Bible says that some of them hoarded it. They took it and they hid it because they didn't think God would provide for the next day. And when God already said, listen, do not 
I'll take care of tomorrow when tomorrow comes. Trust me for today because I'm going to give you the best today. Guess what happens tomorrow? I'm going to give you the best tomorrow. But you've got to trust me today. So those that didn't trust him and, and, and held it back, the Bible says that it became rotten. It stunk. It was horrible. I mean, it just totally messed up their tents or whatever, wherever they were staying at that moment. It just stunk everything up because of lack of faith. And you know what happens with people sometimes? That lack of faith, it stinks on them. There's a stench. You just can tell, man, something's not right. It's about trusting God and not trying to figure it out. Do you trust God enough for today that he said he'd give you his best? Because I believe he will. God is a God that does amazing things. Listen to what Job says. And I'm going to read this quick for time's sake. Job chapter 9, verses 5 through 10. And I'm going to read this quick. Listen to what Job says. This is after things. His life has just been like, oh my gosh. Just terrible. He had a great life and all of a sudden, you know, servant after servant's coming to him and say, oh my gosh, your cattle's dead. Your kids are dead. Your wife's dead. Everybody's dead. I barely escaped. And he comes back and he, re- he says this. And for time's sake, I'm going to start at verse 5. He moves mountains without their knowing it. And this is God he's speaking about. And overturns them in his anger. Verse 6, he shakes the earth from its place and makes its pillars tremble. Verse 7, he speaks to the sun and it does not shine. He seals off the light of the stars. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He is the maker of the bear and the Orion and Pleiades, and the constellations of the south. Verse 10, he performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. Listen, Job recognized who God was. This is our God who does all these things, and you're telling me that he can't take care of you today? And I think that's where we have to come back to what Barnabas said, cleave unto the Lord. He realized we're going to face some tough times. It's going to be hard. The Israelites took an 11-day journey, made it a 40-year torture. 11 days. 11 days. And you know what the biggest issue was? Continual complaining. Complained, the Bible says they complained and they murmured. They complained and they murmured. You know, I was talking to my wife about this, and I heard this from another pastor, and I think it's incredible. And, you know, I'm not, I don't want to tell anybody what to do. I, I just, I, I share a thought. And when God asks you to do something and you do it without complaining and murmuring, do you realize there's a blessing behind that? So if God does that with us, shouldn't we do that with those around us? So I told my wife, I said, I'm going to sit down with our kids. I know they're, my, my son, uh, you know, they're still really young. But I'm going to sit down with them and I'm going to tell them, listen, if you do what we ask you to do the first time without complaining, there's a blessing behind it. If you complain, though, and say, well, why do I have to do it? I don't get it. But God, why? Then you lose your blessing very quickly. You're still going to do it, but you lose your blessing that quick. And I think about this and I think, what if employers did that? What if they sat down with their employees and said, listen, I'm going to have just a little bonus program for you. If you'll do what I ask... And some of you may say, well, I do give them a bonus. It's called a check at the end of the week. Okay, I get that. But what if we took it and we said, okay, if you'll do these things above and beyond what I've asked you to do, I've got a $100 bill sitting here for you. 
or I've got a blessing for you, or I've got a $10 Sonic gift card that you can go get drinks for your family, or, you know, I've got a Starbucks gift card or something simple like that where you're just saying, hey, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for not complaining. Here's a blessing for being a blessing in my life. And I think about this, and I think, what if we treated people around us like God treats us? Bringing the blessing behind it. It's about complaining that got them into the issues. We don't need to spend so much time trying to figure out what God hasn't done that we lose track of what God has done. Too many times we get focused on the negative instead of dropping that and saying, hey, I still got God. That's the greatest positive we can have in our life. God is still God in my life today, and he'll be God in my life tomorrow. It comes down to trusting in God. Do we believe that God has a great plan? That's a question we have to ask ourselves. Do we believe that he has a destiny set for us? If we truly believe that, then let's stop trying to figure it out. Listen, we're going to have an entire eternity to spend with God to answer all these questions. Seriously, we're going to have all the time in the world to spend with God to answer everything that we ever had. Do we have to know it today? And I think that's where we have to ask ourselves to come back. Okay, God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but you said you'd do it. I'm going to trust you. Joseph started his dream at the age of 17. God gave him the dream. He didn't walk into his destiny for 13 years. Joseph thought that his dream was to have his brothers bow down to him. Remember when he talked to his brothers about it? He said, I had a dream. Guess what? I was a big, you know, uh, wheat barrel, and, and, and you guys bowed down to before me. And then he said, I had another one. And what happened? All your stocks bowed down before me. At 17 years old, he goes and he tells his brothers these things. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a younger brother, but that's probably not what you want to hear from a younger brother. That didn't go over very well. But at 17, that was the way that God got a hold of him. Was that, de- was that Joseph's destiny to have his brothers bow down to him? Joseph's destiny was to save thousands upon thousands of people from starvation. That was his destiny. Listen, you've got an incredible destiny that's set in front of you. It's not about when God wins. It's about, okay, God, you're God. I trust you. I believe in you. The last verse I want to share is this, Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. The book of Joshua starts off in chapter 1. Moses has just died and Joshua's in charge. He's like, okay, you got it, man. You got all these things. And this is one of the very first things that he's shared with him. And it says this, I hereby command you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord God, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You realize that's the same God that's with us today? Be strong and courageous. Do not be discouraged. Trust God and watch what he can do. Go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. Listen, I talked about...